A few weeks ago, Pastor Ed um, spoke about the power of inclusion. Uh, this idea that when sin first entered into the world, that it created separation, first of all, between man and God, and also uh, then between man and man, that, that it began to disconnect um, people from each other. And since the garden and the original sin, that, that we all have been hiding a bit. We've been covering ourselves because of our own shame, and we've been hiding from one another as well. And the church historically, unfortunately, has actually participated some in this separation. Where we've seen people that get into problems and slip across the line and sin, that oftentimes instead of going after them, we have actually pulled back from them. And we begin to point our fingers at them and say, you're bad and you've got to change and you've got to fix this. And actually we've been adding to this separation that happens. One of Jesus' main messages was the message of unity, which is the opposite of separation. Now, Pastor Ed last week followed that up with a message on the power of exclusion. Uh, now, he didn't change his mind and all of a sudden decide that there, maybe there are a few people we need to exclude ourselves from. Um, but the idea is that we have to exclude ourselves from sin. We have to separate ourselves from sin, not exclude people. But the reality is that God has a best way for us to live. And that will require for us to say no to some things in our life and to pull away from those things that can, can cause damage and, and harm in our life. So one of the challenges is finding this unity um, and this balance between how do we go after people that are in trouble and care for them and wrap our arms around them and get involved in their life and yet still live lives that are separate and distinct and actually live lives that would cause other people's other people to be fascinated with God and and draw to him. You may be familiar with the story in 1 Kings 14. It's a it's about a prophet named Ahijah. And he was warned by God that Jeroboam's wife, and Jeroboam at that time was the king of Israel, that she was going to come to him in disguise. And God told him, this is what you are to speak to her when she comes. It's uh, 14 verse 7. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. If you keep watching through the Old Testament, as you read through, you will see God sends prophetic words, and he refers to David. And when he refers to David, he continually calls him a man after God's own heart. Or if you look at this scripture, it says, a man who followed God's commands and followed him with all his heart, doing only what is right in God's eyes. Now, isn't this the David... Um, that got a woman pregnant that was not his wife, and then to cover that up, set it up for her husband to be killed. Same David, right? Now, can you imagine what the press would do with this today? 
I mean, we would run this guy out of town on a rail. We would tar and feather this guy. Christian community would totally throw this person into the abyss. So what in the heck? What does this mean? I believe that it, God is giving us some insight into his kingdom and how he looks at his kingdom. Um, yes, David made some major mistakes. But if you follow the story of David, you will see that he also went through some very serious consequences um, for his behavior. But David always leaned back to God. Regardless of how many missteps he made, he always looked back to God, which was different than Jeroboam. Jeroboam Jeroboam pulled away from God and basically designed his own idols and wanted to become, in essence, God himself. And so the kingdom of God is not about perfect behavior. It's not about us establishing a group of people that all believe exactly the same way and all act right and, and, and do good always and then separate ourselves from the rest of the world. But the kingdom of God is made up of people that are willing to give all of their heart and their soul and their mind to God, regardless of the circumstances that they find themselves in, that the most important thing is to stay connected to God and to help other people connect to God regardless of how broken we may find ourselves or we may find other people. One of the things that we're suggesting today is that because the church has tended to act like the behavior police to people around us, that we actually have driven people away from the church. We've actually driven them away from God by misrepresenting God with some of our attitudes. Uh, Many years ago, when one of my girls was in middle school, Um, We had a state competition that we were going to. We went with several other families with the school, and it was out of town. And we got there, and we started to set up. And I noticed that one of the mothers was near my daughter, and she kept saying things like, now, did you bring three copies of that paper? Because you need to have three copies of your paper. Do you have a sweater? It's cold in here. You need to have brought a sweater with you. Why don't you go get one right now? And I'm not sure you're setting that up right. You need to do this and this and this. I'm across the, the way, and I'm getting a little bit irritated. Um, because, because we had four kids, because we were really busy, we really raised our kids to be responsible and to be independent. And so by the time they were the end of middle school, they were doing their own laundry. They followed up on their homework. If they had um, a field trip to go on, they left the field trip permission slip with a little sticky note on it that said, I need $15, and I need you to sign this. They were responsible for their lives. Now, I don't think we were mean and we were neglectful. There's a couple of them here, so you can ask later. Um, I think we expected them to follow through on it, and they did it. And so they did a good job. So as I'm seeing this woman treating my child like she's four, I start moving over that direction thinking, okay, she'll realize that I'm here. No, she decided to parent me too. And so it's like, do you have a sweater? It's cold in here. Did you get Did you get into your hotel? Did you make sure you had two nights in the hotel and not just one? Now, you do know we have dinner at this time tonight. And after that, the woman and I became best friends. No, we did not. <laughs> because when someone judges you, when you feel like somebody is watching you, when you feel like they're pouncing on everything that you do, you don't draw close to them. You move away from them. 
And I realized as I watched her throughout the weekend from a distance, um, I, I realized that part of the reason, or a lot of the reason why she was the way that she was, is she didn't trust her son to follow through on things, or my daughter, or me for that matter. But I started thinking about, I wonder if sometimes we have the need to fix people or to correct people because we don't trust God to do the job. We don't trust that he is actually pursuing that person that you love so much or that you work with and that the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. And we don't trust that that's happening, so doggone it, I'm going to make sure you get the point by telling you these things. I think sometimes we need to back off and let him do his work. There's a current study right now, Barna study, that shows 16% of the people that identify themselves as non-Christians in their late teens and 20s say they have a good impression of Christianity. 16% only have a good impression of Christianity. Among this group, nine of the top 12 perceptions about Christianity are negative. The common negative perceptions include that present-day Christianity is judgmental, 87%, hypocritical, 85%, old-fashioned, 78%, and too involved in politics, 75%. So Christians have in many ways uh, participated in this pushing people away and disconnecting them even from God. The reality is people read Christians they don't read the Bible. People that are not of faith don't read the Bible. They read you. And what are what does our behavior look like? Um, Billy Graham's daughter um, talked about a story or presented in a story that uh, she remembers a time where her dad was at a rally. It happened to be a rally for Bill Clinton. It was after the whole scandal broke. And he was being interviewed, and the interviewer said, why in the world would you come to a rally for Bill Clinton with so much of what he's done to harm the country? Billy's response was, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. Now, it's really easy for for us Christians to go, well, we just love everybody. We just love all people, you know. Have you ever made that statement? Does our behavior actually look like that? Does our practical day-to-day behavior look like we love all people? How is it that you respond to that person that's so uh, vehement about their political beliefs and they happen to be on the opposite side of the aisle? Do you actually go after them? Do you get to know them? Do you find out uh, what it is that they think? Um, What about those that have had such bad experiences with God or the church and they're just cynical and you work with them and they're just cynical about the church and they just say all kinds of stuff. Do you actually, are they the ones that you invite to lunch? Are they the ones that you actually go after and care for? What about that person that is justifying why they smoke marijuana for their anxiety and they're just totally fine with it? And uh, um, do you, again, seek them out and go after them or maybe they're living with, a, uh, with somebody because they've been so disenchanted with marriage and they, they just don't even believe in it and so they are justifying um, living outside of, of, that, of marriage together. I have learned that 
I can say all day to my friends and uh, my family and particularly my wife, I can say, I love you. But it doesn't mean much unless it's followed up with behavior. We can communicate the words all day, but what does our behavior show? Are our actions helping put people's hands and God's together? Or our actions, are we actually stepping back and participating in the judgment and the, po- and the finger pointing and pushing people away? I encountered a, a couple a few years ago, and just really precious people. Um, they uh, got married. They had a wonderful little baby and were living life, moving on. And then one day, um, he shared that he's been struggling with his sexual identity. And it was breaking down some things, obviously, in their marriage. And he shared that he'd been struggling with this all of his life. And he'd kept it hidden. He'd kept it secret. You can only imagine what this, uh, what started happening in this relationship. She obviously felt rejected. She felt unloved. She felt betrayed because she didn't know about this. She started slipping away. She started pulling away. She found herself uh, just kind of self-medicating. She started drinking more and more and more and more. Found herself pretty much at the end of every day, just kind of numbing herself out with alcohol. Didn't realize it, but actually um, became an alcoholic. During some of her... Um, alcohol usage, she became very promiscuous and uh, she was desperately needing to feel loved, looking for love in certainly the wrong places. Only imagine what began to happen in this family. Brokenness, they were trying desperately to parent this little child as best they could, a lot of conflict, a lot of issues, a lot of turmoil, A lot of things going really bad. He began to pull back and isolate, disconnect, pretty much a mess. Now, I had permission to share this story, by the way. Um, But the question came to mind, is it more important to get this behavior corrected? Because they're doing some bad stuff. Is it more important to get this behavior corrected Or is it more important to make sure that we present um, the heart and the love of God to them and help them nudge back towards God and trust that God can do the healing? One of those circumstances that you could look at on the surface and go, how do you fix this? How does this actually come back together? And so we had that dilemma. I think if we were all really honest with ourselves, We'd rather wait until people are all cleaned up and fixed up before we're in relationship with them. It's uncomfortable being around people that have messy lives. It's uncomfortable standing with people that are struggling with the sin that makes us very uncomfortable in it. We struggle with that as humans, and yet that's what God calls us to do. And I think if we're really honest... There's a part of us that doesn't want to be seen with them in case somebody could possibly think that I'm okay with that sin or that I approve of that. And so it's hard for us to stand with people at the very time that we need to because of some of our own discomfort and some of our own issues. 
some of you guys that have been around a long time, you know my story and how I got saved um, in the Jesus movement, specifically through campus life back when I was in high school. And I remember at that time, it was so wonderful for me to be involved with this group of people that loved me and loved Jesus, and we were so passionate about our relationship with Jesus, and they were so accepting. And I was like, I have a whole new group of friends. Not only do I have a Savior, but he's given me this whole new group of friends, and I just loved being a part of everything we did. And I remember when Saturday we were making signs for an event that we had going on that week, and we finished early, and somebody said, hey, let's go to the mall. And I was like, yeah, my friends, my new friends and I are going to the mall. And one of the guys that was there was from a very strict religious background. And he said, I'm not going unless Janice changes clothes. Well, I had on really, really short shorts. And I didn't think anything about it. It hadn't even entered my mind. And I was like, what? And then all of a sudden it hit me. He didn't want to be seen with the heathen. And I remember at the time, my friends gathered around, and they said, fine, don't go. We're going with you. And I've wondered what would have happened if they had all said, yeah, you're right. We don't want to be seen with you. Now, I want you to know, I don't wear short shorts now. <laughs> just, just, it's best on so many levels. Um, But you know what happened over the years was, as I grew in my relationship with God, there were things in my life that he convicted me of. Not just that, but there were other things that he convicted me of. And as I was in a close-knit community that loved me, then people could speak into my life. Or I could go to them and go, you know, I feel like God is telling me that I need to give up this. What do you think? And they could sweetly and they could gently say to me, yeah, that's God. There wasn't a separation It was a commitment to be with me in the midst of my growth, even though sometimes I didn't look right or I didn't look good compared to other people. So today we want to look at seven, and you'll be happy to know we cut this down from 20, um, (laughs) seven practical ways that we can love people in the middle of messy circumstances, in the middle of lives that aren't fixed the way that we might want them to be. The first one is commitment. Show up in people's lives and follow through. Sometimes we commit to a person hoping that they'll change, but then they don't change fast enough or they don't change in the way that we want them to. And so we drop out or we pull away. Stand faithfully and be patient with people. Walk with them and love them in the midst of it all. Your presence is powerful. You know, if we believe the Christian story that Christ lives within us, then we are, when we are with other people, Christ's presence is there. That makes a difference in people's lives and just standing with them. Now, I do have a caveat. I do not believe in missionary dating. <laughs> so do not think if you are dating, if you go out and date this person, they're going to change and everything's going to be wonderful. I've seen a lot of people messed up in that way. And if you're in relationship with someone and you are finding yourself going into temptation or going into sin or it's unhealthy for you, then you are not the person God has called to stand alongside them. And you need to step away from that. God's not going to call you to do something that is harmful to you or is going to lead you into sin. But if it's a relationship where it's like, really, we're going to go through the same issue over and over again and you're getting impatient with them, 
Remember what God has done for you. You know, we all have stuff in our lives that we keep dealing with, that you deal with year after year, and then it becomes decade after decade. And God is patient with us. Remember the patience that he has for us and extend that to people around you. Number two, be bold. 1 Corinthians 19. Though I am free, this is Paul talking, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. If you look at the life of Jesus closely, you'll notice that he hung out with all the wrong people. He was in the wrong places always. Uh, the, the, um, the religious people at the time, that was one of their major criticism because he was in the bars and the casinos of the world and they were going, how in the world could you be hanging out with those folks? Are we willing to take the risk to be bold and to step into people's lives? Uh, there's a guy by the name of Andrew Marin. Um, been very impressed with his life and, and the work that he's doing. He's, a, he's just a middle-class guy, evangelical guy, heterosexual male live, living in middle America. And three of his best friends came out. And he was just blown away by it. First of all, he didn't know anything about their struggles. Uh, and he would tell the story that he did all the wrong things to start with. He, he jumped on their case. He told them how wrong they were. He, he, he criticized them. He told them they had to, you know, stop this behavior. One night, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, said, I've, I've got some important work for you to do. You've got to get to know these, these people. I want you to move into the middle of this community. He moved to Chicago, Illinois, um, a section of Chicago called Boys Town right smack dab in the middle of this community. Uh, and he began to just build relationships. One of the stories, and lots of stories, won't go into it. You have to read about some of these, the amazing things that God has done here. But one of the stories he talks about is during the gay rights parade in Chicago every year that uh, Holy Spirit really nudged him to participate in that. And at first he was just like, I don't want to be close to that. I don't want to you know, make people think that I'm, um, you know, agreeing with this or that maybe I'm, you know, living that lifestyle or whatever. Um, and he was just nudged to get involved. And so uh, where he went was, this, there's a section of Chicago where the, the parade goes by a church. And this particular church, as oftentimes in these kind of things you see, uh, had people that would stand out with their banners um, of, at the parade. And you can only imagine what the banners said. There were three main ones that he remembered. Um, the first one was homosexuality is a sin. Repent or you're going to go to hell. And then the third one that kind of just perfectly encapsulates all of that, God loves you. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can only imagine the tension that happens every year. Matter of fact, they actually have to have a riot police um, that stand around the church uh, because of the tension that happens both sides. 
And the Holy Spirit nudged to him and said, I want, you just to, I want you to go on the other side of the street. And so he took a group of his friends and they just started passing out water bottles, no signs, no agenda, no trying to get people to see what's going on or to get people to change, just building relationships. They got to know people. Uh, they spent, spent time um, trying to understand their journey. And it's amazing to see the things that God began to do in, in that culture. Most in that culture that he encountered really longed for a relationship with God. But they were pretty well convinced that all Christians and probably God hates them. But because of some of the work that he began to step in and do and to get to know people and the way he carried himself, people begin to reconnect with God. Are we willing to be that bold? Number three, change your focus. You know, the thing that we think about people, so often people that are different, all we can think about is that one thing, that one belief or that one behavior that they have, and we focus on that, and, we, and, it, and it affects our attitude towards them. I had a, a guy in our church several years ago came to me, and I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He was, so, he was so anxious and so, you could tell he was so angry. His face was flushed. His fists were clenched. His, the veins in his neck were about to, to burst. He said, Pastor, I just talked to so-and-so in the lobby. And I, I knew who he was talking about. Um, they said, they're going to vote Democratic. Can, can you believe that? How could a Christian vote Democratic? They must believe in abortion. Pastor, do we, do we have people in our church that are going to vote Democratic? And I said, well... I, I hope so. We have, I mean, the country's pretty well split, you know, down the middle in how they vote. And so I hope we have people on both sides now, which that wasn't the answer he was looking for. Um, kind of freaked him out that I said that. So I had him have a seat. And I mean, literally, I thought he was going to pass out. Um, I said, Pastor, you have, you have, you've got to get people to know what they're doing. You've got to get them to vote right. You've got to start, you've got to start talking about this. And I said, have you ever talked, I knew, again, knew who he was talking about. I said, have you ever asked them um, why they believe what they believe? And particularly on that issue of abortion, why, uh, why they're voting that way? I happen to know why that person voted that way and what they thought about abortion. I knew that they certainly weren't for abortion, but they saw, they believed, their belief was that that issue was mostly tied to poverty, that poverty caused such an extreme uh, amount of abortions. And they thought their perspective was that if we can help decrease poverty in the world, then that will help eliminate. It's not working so well the other way, um, the way the other parties handle it. So that would help eliminate and decrease abortions. I knew that these two people had pretty much the same core beliefs, but they believed two different ways to get there politically. But they were so disconnected. Now, of course, he never went and asked him, never went and talked to him. Probably still angry with me this day, um, to this day that I didn't get the church all fixed and get him to, you know, to, to think right. But it's, it's about, again, relationship. Are we willing to, to get disconnected from that view that we have?
and get to know people in a, in a broader perspective. Are we willing to recognize that we are all a part of the body of Christ and that God calls us to unity, that there's power in unity and that we win, win people to God by showing them his love and his compassion? Number four, you're not the judge. First Peter 4, 8, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Whatever the issue is, love should lead. God is the judge. The Holy Spirit is the convictor. And love should lead us. Now, again, that doesn't mean we're condoning sin. That doesn't mean we're agreeing with sin. Sin kills. It's not good for us. But sometimes we step in too fast and we don't trust that the Holy Spirit is working in their lives to convict them and to help them deal with those issues. Number three, take an inquisitive approach to people. That says five. Oh, that says five. Just, just we're saying. Probably gonna have to go I just don't want to freak font. out thinking three. We're, yeah, we're, we're going doing, backwards. Yeah, we're going to be here all day. Yeah, we're doing good, but the font may need to go up to a lot bigger size <laughs> at this days. point in my life. <laughs> so, number five, take an inquisitive approach to, to people. One of the things about being a Christian is we feel like we have to have all the answers. And especially as a Christian leader, I mean, you should be able to answer any question like that. You better know it. But you know what? We can't understand everything. God's ways are higher than our ways. And so there's going to be some things that we don't have the answer for. It's okay to say to people, you know what? I don't know. I need to think about that some more. Maybe I need to talk to some people and, and come up with an answer to that. But I, I don't know. Do you know how non-believers see it when we have all the answers? It looks like arrogance to them. We want to be a receptive people. We want to be an open people to those around us. You don't have to know everything. But be inquisitive. Get to know other people. Ask them questions. Love listens more than it speaks. Ask them questions, not interrogating questions where they feel like they've been pinned to the wall. But ask them open-ended questions. You know, closed-ended questions are so easy for us. We say things like, do you really think God's okay with your behavior? But that's not going to go very far. But when you say to them, tell me about you. I, I, I want to know what's going on in your life. Tell me about you. It invites them into a relationship where we have earned the right for them to hear us and to listen to us. When somebody shares, be careful how you respond. Don't jump in with a judgment, but wait and listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He may give you the thing to speak, but you know what? Sometimes it's not your job to speak about that issue. Sometimes you are there to just show them love and compassion. We so often want to go in and seal the deal. You know, we want to be the one that helps them turn around. Well, God may be using somebody else two years from now. Or he may speak to them in the middle of the night when you're not around at all. Are we willing to just be the one that shows love and that shows compassion, even if we don't see the results that we want? So we encourage you, get to know people, K-N-O-W, not know in O, people. Now, we won't do a cheesy sign out in the yard, I promise. It's not the beginning of that. <laughs> but, but think about your call to get to know people and to be present with them. Number six, uh, trust God's love and his timetable. 
John 13 says, my, pe- my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, love does not dismiss bad behavior, um, doesn't dismiss outright falsehood, but love actively, concretely moves towards people for their best. Striking this fine balance can, can be challenging sometimes. I believe it can only happen. Our ability to tangibly, act, uh, tangibly, actively love others, I believe can only properly happen when we are trusting that when we are in that person's presence, that God is at move in their life, that, that he is at work, that he is doing what he does best. He's been doing this for a long time. He knows what he's doing. Thomas Merton says it this way about a person who embraces God's vision this way. It says, he stands receptive before the world. He no longer grabs, but caresses. He no longer bites, but kisses. Number seven, you are not the solution. People need a relationship with Jesus. And there are times when people are on a legitimate spiritual journey where they are legitimately seeking God. But if we step in and we point out a sin or an error that they're not ready to hear yet, that it's not God's timing for them to deal with that particular issue, we can actually turn them away from God and turn them away from the journey that they're on. Now, I look back at my high school days and I I go, okay, Would I really have turned away from God if they hadn't gone to the mall with me in my short shorts? You know, I think I might have. Because I finally felt a group that I felt secure with and I felt comfortable with. And I think if I had experienced that kind of rejection, it at least would have set me back a long way in my relationship with God. We want to love people. We want to encourage them. And we want to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in their life. There's a book uh, called God in the Flesh, and Don Everett's comments on Jesus' last conversation with the Apostle Peter. He said, after breakfast, Jesus has a question for Peter. Only one question. I probably would have asked Peter if he was going to deny me again, or if he was feeling drowsy again. I can be pretty sarcastic. If I were Jesus and were about to hand Peter the authority to start and lead my church on earth, I would want to know if he was going to be more stable more strong, more consistent. But no, Jesus has only one question for Peter, a simple one. Do you love me? Do you love me? He asked three times, and three times Peter says that he does, and three times Jesus calls him to feed his sheep. Peter's new role and authority, Jesus asserts, do not rest on his strength and consistency and oaths, but on his love for Jesus. Jesus wanted Peter to remember what it was really all about, and I think he did. Jesus was reminding Peter that instead of relying on his own strong characteristics that very well could have done an adequate job in creating and leading God's will for what the church was meant to be, Peter was to refocus his efforts back to the point of origin where the journey began in a love for and reliance on a belief in God that he will do as he so promised. 
Peter's mission, as is ours today, carries more weight and is filled with more love in God's eyes than we'll ever be able to grasp. Therefore, the only way to faithfully carry out such a heavy calling is to place it back on the creator who commissioned such a work. By reminding ourselves that we are not the solution to a person's salvation, we recrown the king in his rightful place as the center of each person's relationships. Let's go back to my couple for a minute. Um, Again, I have their permission to share this story and kind of the rest of the story. Um, This couple are actually a part of our fellowship here. Um, Only a few of you know them. Only a few of you know what they've been going through. And because those of you that have been close to them and know them, the way that you have responded, the way that you have encouraged them and loved them and stood with them in the middle of this, life is beginning to come back into their their world. Uh, The Holy Spirit convicted her one day that um, she was covering up and masking her pain and and uh, that this was not going to be a, a good outcome. It tells the story about seeing a neighbor that was was kind of doing the same thing, and, and the Holy Spirit just gently said, you know, <laughs> you're, you're no different than they are. You're, you're doing exactly what you're doing, and this is not the answer for your life. So she got into a recovery process and began to, to turn those desperate needs in her heart over to God and allowed him to begin to care for her soul. And she's doing wonderful today. She's doing, she's strong. Um, She's reconnecting to God Um, because she has stepped away from alcohol abuse. um, She recognized that even um, promiscuity in her life was damaging her life and, and uh, stepped away from that. She realized she was looking for love and, in the wrong place. Um, they are the most wonderful parents of their little child. Um, he has connected his heart to God, and they both are living um, pure lives. They're married still. Matter of fact, they're off this weekend celebrating a family uh, birthday. Uh, but they don't live in the same house. Um, they live close, and they care for each other. They're best of friends. And they're great parents. I can't tell you what I think about, what goes on in my heart every time I see them walk by the communion table. Every weekend they're here. Um, she mentioned to me, she goes, you know what? I don't, I don't know what we are. <laughs> she said, we're friends, we, we're parents, but I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know where we're really going. I said, you know, you have to figure all that out. God has done amazing things in your life. You are allowing him to love you, to nurture your heart, to fill you up and satisfy you. Just keep doing that. He's he's done an amazing job and you've allowed him. Just keep doing that. He's he's responsible for the end result. Because some of you, as you're listening to this story, are kind of waiting for... What's, what's the rest of the story now? And there's some pieces missing. You know, they're right smack dab in the arms of God. And powerful things are happening. Um, Dr. Green said a couple weeks ago that 
that there are some things that we see and believe that are not necessarily going to come into fruition until he comes again. So we don't know. But I'm so glad that they are part of our fellowship. They are being healed in the body. I'm so glad that they are giving their hearts to God. I'm so glad that you're a, a body that, that allows for that to happen. One of the things that she will say to me is she'll go, I can't believe the people in this church that have loved me and that have stood with me. She said so many other churches would have known about my issues and would have kicked me out on my ear. But people stood with me and they loved me. And she's one of my favorite people to be around. She's so full of, you're not going to believe what God showed me today. I've got to show you this. So exciting to be around her. Our job is to love people. Yeah, life is messy. All of us have junk. But our job is to love people, to stand together, and to really seek that relationship with Jesus. That's just celebration music, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> we are called by Christ to be different. We're called to be loving. We're called to choose humility over hostility. We're called to brave the unknown and reach out to people whose lives are sometimes messy instead of huddling together with people that are just like us. We're called to stand with people in the midst of some difficult circumstances and to invite them in to reconciliation with God and with people. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassador, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why don't you stand to your feet? God, we have a desire to be bridge builders in your kingdom. Lord, help us to step past our own limited perspectives, our, our own um, inability to, to trust you. Lord, we so often want to step in and control the matter. Lord, we don't see the future. We don't see the things that you see, but we trust you. We place you back in your right, rightful position as judge of your people. Because these are your creation. You love them beyond anything that we could ever imagine. So we know that your judgment is always going to be pure. It always comes from the right heart. We trust the Holy Spirit to whisper truth into the lives of those that we are in relationship with. And God, we ask that you would strengthen us to be able to love unconditionally, to love tangibly and to love measurably. Lord, to not pull away, but to step towards. In Jesus' name, amen.